0: I'm Non-Tenant, and you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. In this episode, I'm going to conclude our short series on nice guyism by looking at the male burden of performance and the missio dei, the mission of God. is the male burden of performance? Michael came at it obliquely in the last podcast by talking about man's creational vocation of dominion. Today, I'm going to explain it more fully. Roland Tomasi summarises the idea quite well in his book The Rational Male, Preventive Medicine. Quote, men are expected to perform, to be successful, to get the girl, to live a good life, men must do. Whether it's riding wheelies down the street on your bicycle to get that cute girl's attention or getting a doctorate degree to ensure your personal success and future families, men must perform. Women's arousal, attraction, desire, and love are rooted in that conditional performance. The degree to which that performance meets or exceeds expectations is certainly subjective, and the ease with which you can perform is also an issue. But perform you must. For men, there is no true rest from performance. Women will never have the same requisites of performance for themselves that they expect from men hypergamy demands a constant subliminal reconfirmation of a man's worthiness of her commitment to him, so there is never a parallel of experience. Quote. In other words, women by design want a man who demonstrates dominion. They want to marry up. They want a guy who is taller, stronger, richer, of a higher social standing. This desire is called hypergamy. It's a feminine thing. Men don't work like this. Male attraction is quite different. It's largely based on a woman's external attractiveness and her responsiveness to his person. In other words, he wants a pretty face, curves, and respect. He isn't concerned about her income or her social standing. Those things, while not bad in themselves, don't make a woman more feminine, and so they don't make her more attractive. The upshot is that attraction is not androgynous. Men are attracted to the feminine, women are attracted to the masculine. And because masculine and feminine really are different… Attraction really works differently for men and women. We've covered this at length on our podcast episode on a biblical theology of attraction. Our broad summary there was that women are designed as sex objects, and men are designed as success objects. This is language drawn from the title of a study that we referenced, which illustrates these principles very aptly. This is the most basic level of attraction. Men are attracted to physical beauty, and women are attracted to success and status. The reason for this is that the ordering principle of attraction is the same for both sexes, but both sexes are different, and so they are attracted to different things. And that ordering principle is fruitful dominion. Both men and women are made to produce, and this takes the form of building a household together. So both men and women are attracted to those things associated with suitability to building a household in the opposite sex. In a woman, this centers on her own body and the nurture that flows from it it is therefore reasonably innate, she either has it or she doesn't. In a man, not so much. His suitability revolves around productivity and prowess. These are things he must be taught and things which he must work to develop. As the saying goes, women are, men become. Or put slightly differently, women are, men must perform. How does this need to perform tie into nice guy syndrome? Well, so far we've established that the moral ailment that leads to nice guy syndrome is neediness. Neediness is a product of having an overly external locus of control, and an external locus of control is what happens when you refuse to take responsibility for yourself. This leads us to a deep question we must answer as we live in repentance of being nice guys. Why do men so naturally resist taking responsibility? This isn't just a failing of nice guys. Rather, unwillingness to take responsibility naturally affects men in general, and nice guys are one result of this failure. Consider how you see the same lack of responsibility in people reacting against being nice guys. They will stop being approval-seeking, even becoming quite disagreeable, yet continue to avoid taking the blame for anything. You see the same thing with hyper-patriarchalists. They will react against servant leadership by becoming Barney Fiefs who insist on authority. Look at the badge. Look at the badge. You must obey me because of the fact that I'm the leader. But they don't take on the accompanying responsibility of a leader to actually do the leading. In fact, from our observation, there's a natural cage stage that men go through when they come to a biblical understanding of gendered piety. And this cage stage consists largely in trying to correct whatever mistakes they were making by simply talking about them being fixed, rather than doing anything substantial that really fixes them. Sadly, many men never escape that cage. Red Pill forums are full of men who gather to excuse their ongoing sorry state by daily casting anew onto women or the responsibility for their problems. A huge amount of the discussion we have with other men, and a huge amount of the difficulty we face personally in living out what we know to be true, revolves around how to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Why is it so hard to take responsibility? Why is it so hard to be doers? Why is performing a burden? The answer, as usual, is in Genesis. Genesis 1.28 God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is often called the creation mandate. It is a call to rule and reign over the earth. It is a call to produce and build a household under God, and eventually a household of households, a polis, a society, using the raw materials God provides in the earth. This mandate is given to Adam immediately upon his creation. It is his vocation as a man. And sin does not remove this vocation. It is repeated to Noah after the flood. It remains in effect. It is what we are made for. But sin does complicate and impair it. After eating of the forbidden fruit, God pronounces a curse. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dirt, and to dirt you shall return. In the story of sex in scripture, William Mauser explains... In addition to the sentence of death, God curses the work of man and woman, that is, the productivity of their specific domains. Since Adam comes from the ground to work the ground, God curses the ground. It will be unproductive, labour will be hard, his own body will sweat as he struggles to make a living from a rebellious earth, even as he journeys toward death to return to the dust from which he was made. In other words, we find in Genesis the reason that avoiding responsibility is such a temptation to us as men. To understand how this works out, let's return to the paradigm responsibility avoider, the sluggard, and what scripture says about his domain, Proverbs 24, 31. Behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles, its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Here are the results of his sluggishness. He didn't repair the wall when an animal kicked it over or when the rain eroded it. He didn't remove the thistles and nettles when they were little weeds, and now they have overtaken the vineyard. He simply left it alone, and the earth reclaimed it. Think about that. The earth is ruling over the man, not the man over the earth. The dominion is backwards. It is an inversion of the creation design, on account of sin the natural consequence of Adam inverting the creation order of dominion between himself, his wife, and God. The temptation to sluggishness, to avoid responsibility, is a natural outworking of the curse. We are made to exercise dominion and be productive, but it's hard to take responsibility for that vocation because being productive is cursed. The world pushes back as we push forward. We must toil at it. We know in our bones that there is a futility and pointlessness to it that can never be overcome. You can't mow your yard just once. You can't discipline your kids just once. You can't weed your garden just once. It must be done over and over again. It must be maintained. It must be a habit. Because weeds, because sin, they come back. Remember the temptation of Jesus. He was tempted three times. Then the devil left him. But not forever. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. He hadn't given up. This wasn't over. He intended to tempt him again. The ease of the pre-fall world is no longer. We live in a fallen world that is cursed and therefore full of difficulty. We naturally hate this. In the past, most men had no choice but to exercise dominion. If they weren't productive, they died. But today, we're so wealthy, and our governments take so much of that wealth to give to those who didn't earn it, that this problem barely exists. And so we naturally have men just failing to start we have many men allowing the world to reign over them. That is why the nettles and the thistles are everywhere. That is why so many modern men see themselves as victims of outside forces. Because they, because we, refuse to be diligent and fight back. Performance feels like a burden because of the curse. Being under the crushing weight of the law has natural outworkings. The futility of labor, clearing away the thorns and the thistles, knowing they'll regrow, is a result of sin. It turns dominion from something purely joyful into something that can be a real chore. We work all the days of our lives, and then at the end, for all our labours, we return to the dirt. I should add as a side note, labour was part of the original creation. Labour is a good thing. Work. But what we're talking about here is toil. How do we escape it? Well, a man does not escape this burden of performance by refusing to perform, any more than he escapes sin by refusing to obey the law. God made you to perform, you can't not do it. It's part of our very nature. A man who will not perform is not escaping the burden, he's merely adding another burden on top of it, the burden of kicking against the goads. Masculine duties are often summarized with three Ps, preside, provide, protect. Adam was made to be a lord of a creation, to preside, to be fruitful, to provide, and to keep the garden, to protect. You'll notice that all three Ps are verbs. Being a man means taking action. We get things done. We are doers. It was this way from the beginning. This is God's design for men. No relief will be found by rebelling against our design. Work is by nature a source of happiness and fulfilment for men. Olympic runner Eric Liddell famously said, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast, and when I run I feel his pleasure. Conversely, a Korean study showed that while retirement doesn't increase rates of depression in women, it does in men, because we are workers. This must be embraced. The curse makes it hard, but passivity and weakness destroy men in a way toil never can. That said, it is true that because of sin, many men feel like Sisyphus. Work is like a heavy boulder. They push up a mountain, only for it to roll back down and all start over the next day. It seems like an unending, pointless grind. Like the preacher, they wonder, for what does a man get in all his labour and in his striving with which he labours under the sun? So this is the burden of performance, and it's a weight that is all the more compacted if you operate with the underlying presuppositions of a nice guy. As we've previously said, nice guyism is ultimately a people-pleasing performance mindset, and because it's rooted in a deep fiction, that performance can never be achieved. It is a crushing burden. The nice guy thinks that if he is approval-seeking enough... Women will desire him, and men will respect him. But his neediness, his external locus of control, is actually repulsive to everyone. The harder he works for the approval of others, especially women, the less he gets. This is the burdensome life of nice guys, and make no mistake, most modern men have been conditioned to live this way. But there is an answer. There is a way to get out from under the weight. There is a way to lighten the burden and to make the yoke easy. God rewards all performance done in faith. So ultimately, the answer is Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is a real solution to the male burden of performance, especially for nice guys. Because of Christ, we are no longer slaves, but sons. Paul writes in Galatians 4 When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. This changes everything. Because we are in Christ, who fulfilled the law, who performed what we never could, we have everything He has. We no longer need the scarcity mindset of a slave. We aren't poor. More than that, because we are in Christ, who died to the law, Who is therefore no longer under it, we are freed from ever having to work to earn God's favour and gifts. God loves us in Christ and has already given us every possible treasure in him. He is a Father, he has promised us an inheritance, and he is pleased to reward all his children. And even more than that, some of the treasures he has provided for us are good works. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God redeems our work by working himself through the Lord Jesus to create new work for us, thus we should now live out an abundance mindset. Again, Paul explains, Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Colossians 3.23-25 All work done in faith for Christ, therefore, has value. Even the menial work of a slave, or in the modern day, tediously filing TPS reports in your corporate cubicle. The value of this work is known by faith, not by sight. It might not be realized in this life, but it is promised. God keeps his promises. And because we do this work, from the heart, for the glory of God, we are also freed from the burden of an external locus of control centered on the approval of others. A life set free by Jesus to live for the Father is a life set free from the weight of the curse. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. This is why, over and over again, we say mission first, brothers. It is only by focusing on God's mission, the Missio Dei, that we can truly order our lives and find fulfillment. And the Missio Dei naturally issues in your own mission. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love.